breaking out of the box. Now that sounds all very good, doesn't it? Breaking out of the box. It's Christmas time, we get lots of boxes that come to us and we can climb in at Christmas time and break the boxes open and find the gifts that we've got inside. A certain amount of effort to get out of a box, especially um, if it's a big box. And we live in a world that's a big box. We live uh, in a place that's a, a bit confining. In fact, we like we're inside the box. And Jesus wants us to get out of the box. He wants us to break the box down. And the box that is around us is the box of the world, the flesh and the devil. Now the world it talks about all those things that happen in, uh, in this world, the order and the arrangement of our cultures, the order and the arrangement of our thinking, the paradigm of our thought, the way we think, that's called the world. The way the world speaks, the way it uh, delivers across the internet, the way it delivers across the media, all that body of information that's out there, all those thoughts and all those ideas that are in the universities, that's called the world. And Jesus doesn't want us to be of the world. He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. He doesn't want us to be a product of the world. He doesn't want us to be part of that whole mess of thought and that whole mess of idea. He wants us to be different to the world. He wants us to break out of the box of the world. So many Christians, they do this thing at this time of the year and Christmas has become part of the box that they live in. It's become part of the ritual. You know, the only time you see them at church is on Christmas time or at Easter time. The only time they ever get together with other Christian people is at the time when they think they ought, should, and must. It's part of their ritualistic box that they live in. And God doesn't want us to be part of a box. Our celebration isn't just one day, it's every day. Christmas is every day for me. Every day, it's, it's Christmas Day. So he wants us to break out of the things that so confine us and so confine him and so confine the world in which we live. He wants us to get into a new place. He wants us to break out of the flesh. The flesh, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it talks about everything that's part of your body, that's part of your bodily desires and your functions. It's, like, it's almost like you live inside this body and this body speaks to you from time to time. You're hungry, eat. You're thirsty, drink. You're feeling loving, love. You're feeling sad, cry. Your body produces all of these emotions, it produces all of those desires, and, it, and it's sitting there and it's driving you to do certain things. And Jesus says, you know, you live in the body, you should control the body. The body ought not control you. Some people live their life being controlled and manipulated by their flesh. As soon as their flesh says eat, they eat. As soon as their flesh says jump, they jump. As soon as their flesh says cry, they cry. As soon as their flesh tells them to do something, they just go and do it. They are in control. The control of their body is controlling them. And Jesus doesn't want you to be chained like that. He doesn't want you to be chained up like that. He wants you to be free from that. He wants you to be free from this thing called the world and he wants you to be free from the thing called the flesh. And he wants you to be free from the devil. The devil's sitting there all the time and he's looking out for you. He's watching you. He's just waiting to trip you up. He'll trip you up through the world. He'll trip you up through the flesh. He'll trip you up just coming to try and trip you up. He wants to make you stumble. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you to hell. There's a very real devil and he's looking for a really definite way to disrupt your life completely and destroy you. The Bible says the thief comes not but to steal, to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
So we've got to break out of this box. Yeah, the problem is me. <laughs> it always is. When I ever think about breaking out of a box, especially the box that I live in, the first thing that happens is I have me to deal with. Everybody tap yourself on the chest. You're your biggest problem. I'm my biggest problem. Say it, I'm my biggest problem. And ain't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? I, I, you know, other people let you down, but you're the one who lets yourself down the most. You're the one who actually lets yourself down the most. And all of these things, you know, you see, breaking out of a box would be great. Breaking out of a box would be fantastic. Jesus, I like to break out of a box. But you know what? When I'm in the middle of this whole thing, when I'm in the center of this thing, breaking out of the box is not that real easy, you know? Because I'm the problem. Because when I'm in the center, I want to be in control of everything. For some people, control is the issue, you know. I'll go through life and as long as I'm in control of all the things around me, I'll be happy. But if I get out of control or there's something that I'm not in control of, I'm not very happy about that at all. So I work really hard to control everything around me. So, you know, here I am in the box, I am in the center and I am in control. And when I'm in the box and in the center and in control, I'm wanting to define what's right and wrong. I don't care what God says is right or wrong. I've had people say to me, you know, I want to know what God wants for my life. And we go on a prayer and we pray and ask God to give them some direction and God will tell them, this is what I want you. And they say, I know that I, I, God wants this for my life. And then they'll say, but I want this thing. It's not what God wants for me, but it's this thing that I want. I say, but you know, if God wants this and you want that, which one are you going to choose? I don't care what God's... I had a person say to me, I don't care what God wants. I know what I want. That's good for me. That's what I want. So I will get what I want. This is what that person said to me. I, can, I watched and I thought, oh, God have mercy. Because this thing that she wants is going to hurt her in the end. You know, I'm old enough now to have gone around that mountain a couple of times with numbers of people who said that they, oh, this is what I want. And to see in the end that God was wise when he told them, don't choose that, choose another thing. And then have them come and cry to me later, how do I get out of my bind? How do I get out of my, my hole? How do I get out of this horrible situation that I found myself in? I just look and I think, but you chose that. You determined that that was good. God said not to do it. He said, I have a different right and wrong than you, but you chose that. You chose that and you put that around yourself and you want to free of it now. You want to be free of it now. Well, God is gracious and God is merciful, but you have to exchange your will for his and you have to put him in the center, not yourself in the center. You don't sit here and justify yourself. Well, it's because all this stuff that's gone on and then you tell me why you can't do the right thing. You've got to change your mind about that and put God in the center. That's what I like about Christmas. It's the time when we think that God incarnated himself into this world. Incarnation means he clothed himself with human flesh and stepped into our life. And why? For proximity's sake. So that we could be near him. And he could be near us. He could be in our world with us. 
And then when he incarnated himself and stepped into our world, he said, come to me, all you are weak and weary and heavy laden, and come to me and I will give you rest. And he asked if he could come and live in us, the center of us. He stepped into the world and then he says, can I come and step into you? He wants to possess us. Fill us with his spirit so that he is the center. He is the one who's in control. He's the one defining the right and the wrong. And he's the one who's justifying us. We remember that. God on earth. God with us. Emmanuel. Why? So he could come to be with us. Indwell us and live with us. I need Jesus in the center of my life to get out of the box. This is what Romans says. And Paul knew this really well. And I'll I'll read it to you. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? What I want to do, I do not do. Like, I know... There's a right thing to do, and I know there's a wrong thing to do. But while I'm in the middle here, while I'm in the center here, while I'm defining what's right and wrong here, I know that there's a right thing to do, but the thing that I know I should do, that's the thing I don't do. But what I hate, that's what I do. I hate the thing I'm doing. Don't tell me to love it. I've got to hate it. I know it's there. I know it's like a big ugly chain that's wrapped around my life and I just keep on doing it. I don't know why I do it. I'm just locked up inside in here. The thing that I know I ought to be doing is not the thing that I'm doing. I'm doing the thing I ought not do. I'm doing the thing I hate at the end of it. Like Jesus understands that. Jesus knows that is what is happening in our lives. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. You know, I know it's bad for me, the thing that I do. And I know in my mind there's a right thing to do. I can conceptualize it. I can see it. I know it's there. I hate the bad thing that I do. And I know what God wants to have me do is good. But I have no power to do it. That's the problem of being in a box without Jesus. The problem of being in a box without Jesus is that you have no power to get out of the box. We can preach a whole sermon on getting out of the box, fighting the world, fighting the flesh and fighting the devil. But unless you have Jesus incarnated into your life, into your whole body, into you, you can't get out of the box. You're stuck in the box and you will always be in the box because there's only one who has the key to the box. And that's Jesus. He says, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. It's just like there's a person inside of me that's called sin. Sin. Everybody say sin. Sin Sin lives in me. Oh, that's a nasty one. When it's in the inside of you and it controls everything that you think and everything that you want and everything it tells you to want the bad not the good it tells you to do the bad in fact it makes you do the bad not the good sin oh well let's get rid of sin then jesus gets rid of sin he goes on and he says and he paints this amazing picture of what it's like to be locked in a box. 
Michael, come here. Stand with me at the front. I'm going to illustrate. We've done this before. But this is for those who haven't seen it. And for those who have seen it, bear with us. We will repeat ourselves again. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? Now, the Romans had this way of killing a person, which was quite, quite unique, really. Don't be afraid. You're going to kill me. You see, what they did is if the man, if I had killed a man and they said, yeah, who's killed this man? Then they'd say, well, what we'd get this man to do would kill you back. He said, you can't kill me, he's already dead. They said, is that right? You don't think we're very smart, do you? And so they would take the dead body of the man that I had killed and they would chain the dead body to his hand, to his hand, to his other hand, to his hand, to his foot, to his foot. You know what this means, brother? We're going to get extremely close. And face to face. So then we are chained. Well, what's going to happen next, you ask? Well, it's quite simple. This man is dead. And so the flies are coming. And the maggots are coming. And the stench and the sickness of his death is there. And I'm sitting there and I'm chained to him and I'm breathing in and I'm breathing out and I'm, oh, and a fly goes down. And then all of a sudden some of the thing that he's melting away comes to drip in my mouth and the sickness and the death that is oozing out of the man that I killed begins to ooze into my body and kills me. This is the picture This is the picture that Paul is using to illustrate what it's like to be chained up with the dead man of sin in that box. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body? I'm chained to a dead man. Every time I breathe in, I breathe in death. Every time I breathe out, I exhale my life. I breathe in death and exhale life. I breathe in death and exhale life. I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Who will free me from this body of death, he says. I just love the fact that Jesus came into our world. I just love the fact that Jesus came into our world to save us from this body of death, to bring us to himself. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1, chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, it's actually chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, not chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it's chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. As you know, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, you've got the demon inside you. You've got a demon of sin, a demon of sickness. You've got something inside you that is not of God. It's living inside you. When you don't have Jesus inside you, this thing is mastering you. It is controlling you and it is driving you down and breaking you down and will kill you in the end. That's what's inside you, he said. You are dead. Even though you breathe, you are dead. And he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. God's angry at our behavior. He says, I didn't create you so that you could have this demonic sin man standing on the inside to do everything that I said is wrong. 
I created you to be with me. To walk with me and talk with me and fellowship with me. That's what I created you for. And so when Jesus incarnated and came into earth, when he clothed himself with flesh, he came to be close to us, to be with us, so that he could indwell us. The second part of this verse here, in chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Therefore there is, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life or the spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You know, friends, when Jesus came, he said, you don't have to worry about the bad stuff you've done, okay? I'm not going to condemn you because of that. So we're not going to go to Olivia and say, okay, you put all the bad things you've done on this piece of paper here, Olivia, and we're going to add them all up and we're going to condemn you for them. Jesus, I'm not about to make a list of all those things that you've done wrong. If you believe in me, he says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and for those who Christ Jesus is in. No condemnation. You don't have to feel bad, you know, because Jesus is fixing it. He's going to get you out of that box. He says, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the the law of the spirit of life or the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin. Now, I I was in Bible college and I I asked the question, now, what is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? Because I figured it's kind of important. The law of the spirit or the principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what's the law of sin and death? Well, the law of sin and death looks something like this. If I ought not do it, you can be guaranteed I do do it. If I shouldn't do it, that's what I will do. In fact, there's a law or a principle inside of me that goes something like this. If you tell me not to do it, Jesus, I'm just going to go and do it. That's the thing. And you know what? At the end of that exercise, I know if I do that, I'm going to die. See, you, you, you understand that? Yeah, it's just kind of like a law. How many times this week did I think that I wanted to do the right thing and then didn't do it? How many times in my life have I said, I know I should do the right thing and then the bad thing has come and said, you know, I think I like the bad thing better than the right thing. So I think I'll just escape from the right thing and just do the bad thing and then find myself chained up with chains I can't get free of. Well, then what is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? Because it sets you free from the law of sin and death. Well, that's quite simple. It's changing ownership from me being in the center and me controlling my life to having Jesus in the center and then being controlled by his life. It's simple. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Life in Christ Jesus or being alive in Jesus. Well, it goes something like this. I was like that and and every time that I wanted to do something that wasn't, you know, I would do what I... What I knew you didn't want me to do, Jesus, but now you're here with me. And what do you want me to do, Jesus? Oh, you don't like what I just thought there? You want me to change what I just... Okay, I think I'll change what... You know, living with you, Jesus, is a whole lot easier because I don't have to decide anymore what's right and what's wrong. I just have to do what you say is right and wrong. I think I can walk this way. You know, Oh, look, there's a temptation, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, you did, did you pray... 
lead me not into temptation today, Mark? Well, no, I didn't actually. You should have maybe done that because that's the temptation's coming right at you and it's telling you that the old man is still alive and wants to do the old thing. Well, you know, Jesus, you know, I know that the old man is dead now because he's been taken away because you, I changed ownership. You came to live inside of me now. You're inside of me. You incarnated yourself into me. So now that I have Jesus inside me and I'm listening to you, Jesus, and my conscience has been cleansed from dead works to serve a living God. And so I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm turning away from the temptation because we're going to have life together. Life in Jesus together every day, every day, every decision I make. And I'm saying, is that the decision you want me to make, Jesus? Is that what you want me to do, Jesus? Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Jesus. I'm living with Jesus now. That's what it is. A relationship with Jesus, not just a ritual that you do in Christmas time or Easter time, not just something that you do when you come to church, put your money in the plate or whatever you want. This is a walk with the living God. This is a walk with the creator God. This is a walk with God who comes in and dwells you and he determines that he's the center of everything he's in control of everything and you agree with him when he says this is right and this is wrong and you let him do the rest in your life there's a bit of a different wrinkle than just doing a church thing a religious thing and then controlling your life the rest of the time the bible tells us in john chapter 1 verse 4 and it says and the word became flesh that creative word that i I listened to some scientists talk about yesterday where they're talking about um the proof of the existence of god that you can go on and you can find movies on the proof of the existence of god and it's and it's put up there by scientists uh physicists people who look at the cell and the atoms and everything and it's a lengthy lengthy um proof of the existence of god it's called it goes for about two hours, three hours. And I'm halfway through this and I'm thinking, how can you say that there is no God? When these scientists have gone right down. I mean, here's the point. Darwin said, if you can prove a thing called irreducible complexity, that you can reduce something down, but when you get right down to its tiniest piece, it's too complex to have evolved he says then my whole theory of evolution collapses well that was before they discovered the cell or what was in the cell i mean darwin thought that the cell was a very simple thing like the first animal was just a very simple one cell thing a very basically simple one thing in it and then it just multiplied and and so you can change and all the stuff thing and but you know what they discovered now there's three billion dna connections in a cell Three billion of them. And that the complexity of it is so massive. It's got a little thing called a legast that swims around inside and, and sticks it all together. They don't know how he actually does that. They don't know how it, it knows what to do and how to join things up. It's got a little motor on the back of it and it just drives around and it collects it and it pulls chemicals and it puts them together. It mends and fixes up stuff that's broken. Said, how, how does that work? They just scratched their head. They, they didn't know that even existed, but it's got a mind of its own almost. It's got the mind of God because God made it. That's why. It didn't just evolve. You can't evolve something so small like that. It just, it, it's so complex. The guy was saying, you get the cell wall. He says, to make the wall of the cell 
hold the thing together. He says, you need these little pieces together. He says, it's a male and a female. He says, the odds of getting a male and a female together like that, he says, is 10 to the power of 164. Now, that, that might not seem big for you. But if you think, think about how many particles in the whole universe, particles, little particles in the whole universe, it's only 10 to the power of, you know, about 20 or something like that. It's impossible. What he's saying, what they're saying is it's completely impossible. When it says the word became flesh, the creative word of God, this word that spoke at the Big Bang, everything into its place in beautiful order and with all the laws existing to hold it all together. When he spoke it into the place and created it all, he also said, I will now step into it and be a part of it. So the word that spoke it into being, you go look at the incredible complexity of creation and the awesomeness of it. He says, now I will step into it. Because I want to be near you. I want to be near you because I created you. We had a fall and you went away from me, but I'm stepping into your world. I'm coming close to you now. Why? Because you can't get out of the box that you've fallen in unless I step into the box with you. You can't get out of that unless I come and live with Why? The Creator God has to stand inside my box and speak to it to be opened up. I've got to let Him speak to the bonds. I've got to let Him speak to the chains. I've got to let Him speak to my life. I've got to let Him speak to my death. So I live. I need him to do a creative miracle inside of me. That's why he's come into our proximity. That's why he's come into our lives to step into us, to change us from the inside out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's lovely. He's got the truth wrapped up there and everything that is right is there, true. But he's not coming to you with a big stick to bash you across the head and saying, you really stuffed up really badly, Heike. I'm just going to mash you down with a hammer now. He's coming to you with grace. He's saying, I know you're in the box. What do you think motivated me? Step up from my throne and step into this place. I could see you were in a box that you were stuffed without me. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. He knew you were stuffed without him. He knew you couldn't get out of the box without him. So he became flesh to dwell among us so that he could have proximity so that you could believe and you could see what he was like. We live and we saw, we look and we read the book of John and we, and we see the gospel through the gospels, the image of the Father. He says, if you see me, you see the Father. We see the Father heart of God. We see his beauty and his character. We see Jesus doing all the marvelous things that he does. And we say, this is awesome, Jesus. God is awesome. He's just great and wonderful. And we look and we say, you behold Jesus. You behold God. God, your creator, has come to get you because he loves you. How awesome is that? He wouldn't leave us there, Len. He wouldn't leave us there. He came to save us when we were past saving, when we thought we were lost, when we thought we couldn't get out of it. He came and he said, here I am. I've come to do the will of the Father. Trust me, believe me. Take me to yourself.
In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why he came. He looked down and he saw what the devil had done and he said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we knew this was going to happen. We discussed this before it even began that this was going to happen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had already seen that this was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise for him. And we can sit down and talk about the reasons of that. But he also made a way for us that we didn't have to end up under the foot of Satan. But Satan could end up under our foot. He came to destroy the works of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, When Jesus spoke again, he said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know, that rings through the ages. As far as I'm concerned, it rings through the ages. You know, I can be young now and I can be living death now. I can be experiencing death now. Jesus says, you believe in me and follow me and I will give you the light of life. I will speak life into you. I will shout life into your being and life will shine out of you. You will be eternally alive if you believe in me. These things I've done, he says, John says, I've written these things that you may believe in Jesus and in believing you might have eternal life. That he would shine and come and live within us. And from out of us, John, would come this life, this beautiful life, shining light. That we'd experience it. We would be the light of the world. The salt of the world. That people would look at us and say, what is there about you? Can I have something that you've been on? Are you taking something, man? I'm only taking Jesus. And I'm just going where he's going. I have a big dose of Jesus in the morning. In fact, I'm taking him right now. Do you want some of Jesus? Are you mad? It's slightly crazy. Just crazy about Jesus. What do you want to be? Crazy about sin or crazy about Jesus? Look at the end result. Which one do you want? Give me Jesus every time. Give me Jesus. I want Jesus. I don't want the brokenness. I don't want the shame. I don't want the pain. I don't want the the despair. You only have to turn the news on for five seconds and they're telling you how many people died in how many gross ways. And that's meant to help you. You don't want to watch the news? Think about it. You see how broken the world is? Does that help you any to see how busted everything is this? How how busted everybody is and how messed up everybody is? I've got a gun. I'm going to shoot everybody I can. Boom, 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 boom. Ah, oh, messed up now. Now I'm innocent. I take a law court to put me in jail because I'm mad. Oh, are you really? You're just messed up because you believe the one who takes life, not the one who gives life. Jesus has a plan for our lives. Amen. This is the time when we remember that he stepped into our world. He stepped in to be close to us so that we could have him in our lives. Amen? This is the word that Jesus quote. The first time he got up and preached a sermon. The first time I got up and preached a sermon, it was about five minutes long. I stood and it was an esk. And I turned two pages at a time. And when I turned two pages at a time, I lost where I was. Forgot what I was going to say. Thought... Don't keep on talking. Got the congregation to stand up. There was about 200 people in the congregation. Got the congregation to stand up and closed in prayer. (laughs) It was shocking. Well, this is Jesus and his first sermon, okay? 
<laughs> he writes these words, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He got a scroll, he, he got it out, he rolled it out there and he says, okay, I'm going to speak to you now. This is the first time he's talking to people. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Why did you come, Jesus? Because you guys were poor and you needed to have some good news. I'm here my message to you is the Spirit of God is on me to preach the message to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How many people have got a broken heart here or have had a broken heart here? Put your hand up right up high if you had a broken heart. He, Jesus, came to you. He came for you to heal your broken hearted. He said so. He said, I've come close to you to heal the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to captives. How many people have been captive in your life? You can be captive to sin or captive to whatever. You've been in captivity. Put your head up. He came to set at liberty those who were captive. You know, that's a good thing. All right, mate, he's, he's my man already. He's already, he's already scored for me. Look, I've been brokenhearted. I've had some poor bad news. I need someone to help me. He's come to stand in my, stand in my box with me. Woohoo! He's come near to me. He says, And the opening of the prison for those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. He's saying, you better not stay there. It's the, the, the train is coming. Get off the tracks. Can you hear the rumbling? The train is coming. Get off the tracks. You know, there's certain death where you're standing. Get off the tracks. He's come here to proclaim to you that you shouldn't stay where you are. He says, to comfort all those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. How many people here think that their life is just a pile of ashes? There's a pile of ashes where I'm standing. Sometimes I feel like I'm just standing on a pile of ashes. Like everything around me is burned up. I've just stuffed up everything. I remember when I came to Jesus. I, said, I got down and I thought, Jesus... I'm going to give you my whole life. Well, back then I was only about 18. It wasn't very much of a life, but it was enough. I thought I was big when I was 18. Now I'm 56. I realized I was big. <laughs> I could lift heavier weights than I can now. But at 18, I thought, you know, everything that I've touched in life, I've stuffed up. Everything. Everything that I touched, I stuffed up somewhere along the way. I made so many mistakes, and I was only 18 years old. I thought, you know, what up? I just got a pile of ashes. What can you do with them, Jesus? That's the sort of thing he came for, a pile of ashes. You think you got ashes? He buys ashes. He gives you beauty for ashes. Oh, oh, <laughs> I like that one. You know you got ashes, your pile ain't standing, and it's all burned up around you. You say, well, what, what can grow out of ashes? Something beautiful can come out of ashes. Jesus says, I exchange beauty for ashes. I exchange liberty for those who are in prison. I exchange power for those who are powerless. He stepped into life. He stepped into where we are. What to do? What to do? To achieve for us the opening of a box. So that we could be free. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. 
The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness. I love that, you know. You know, you think you're so frail. You think you're so weak. You know, I look at you and think, well, Brian, are you strong or are you weak? And you think, oh, well, you know, in myself I am weak. And he says, you know what? I want to give you the strength of a cedar. I want you to give the strength of a tree that never falls. He says, you just come near to me. He says, and I will make you rise up like a tree of righteousness unbending, unbreaking tree. Well, I want that because I've been busted. Every time the wind blew, I would blow that way. Every time the wind blew, I would blow that way. Every time the pressure on me, I would go that way. I don't want to be pressured by things around me. I want to stand firm. I want to stand firm and be a tree of righteousness. He said, I'll make you a tree of righteousness. I'll give you beauty for ashes. I'll come into your life and I'll change it for you. I'll break it a box and I'll take away the sin. Just trust me. Put me in the center of your life. You know what I like? This is the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. Because we've been ruined. Completely busted. You look at ruins and families and you look at the way that city walls are broken down and they're personal personal walls are broken down and our families are dispersed and broken they say well jesus what can you do about it it gets so complicated the older i get in life the more complicated it becomes when i'm young and i'm thinking about my kids and their little grandchildren we come in and do christmas you know this is christmas you know i always hated christmas always hated it you know get around and gifts and presents and stuff i don't know why i did that but i did so I've now got grandchildren, and they're all coming around. You know, well, they're, well actually, not. Are Granddad and mum and coming around. You're going somewhere else. But you have this time when you can have Christmas. And as you start off in life, it's kind of, kind of sweet because it's all connected. But as you go through life, it kind of gets fragmented and broken as you go. So Christmas, what starts when the kids are babies, is not Christmas in the family. 50 years later well that's just a different animal completely and sometimes it's a broken animal sometimes it's busted and it's separated and it's divorced and it's all messed up and like there's no happiness there not a time of joy anymore you know what jesus said give me that brokenness and i will rebuild the ancient ruins those places of desolation I will establish strong. He says, you'll have a family. You'll have a home. You'll have brothers and sisters bigger than you can even number. And you'll feel the connection and you'll feel the bond. And he says, the walls will never be broken down again. Well, friends, I want that. I don't want something temporary. I don't want something that's half-hearted. I want what Jesus wants to give me. And I'm going to put Jesus in the center of my life. I'm going to say, Jesus, speak the word into my life. And then let it live. Let it live. And out of my life, I want the shine of God's righteousness to come. Amen? That we would shine Jesus. That we would raise up the former foundations. The ruined city would be rebuilt. That God would have his city. How... This is God's city, his people, brothers and sisters, all together in the family of God. And then in a little while, in a little while, not very far from here, in a little while when we're all caught up to be in the sky with Jesus. Never to be alone again. 
then, then we'll see how important it was to open our lives up to the incarnate Christ and let him speak life into us and to change us from the box that we've been living in. Amen. Let Christmas be a time of celebrating Jesus on the inside. Amen. Let's stand up, shall we? I want to give you this opportunity today to just acknowledge Jesus. He is our all in all, the girl's saying. He is our all in all. When I am weak, he makes me strong. When I am weak, he makes me strong. Where is he? He's in me. Christ in you, it says, the hope of glory. Jesus indwelling us, the hope of glory. Jesus didn't just come to the earth. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's there, the risen Lord, now wanting to indwell us and be in us and walk through us. This is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus that sets me free from the law of sin and death. You know, the biggest Christmas present you can receive today is Jesus. Jesus in your heart. Just take off the wrappings and let him come in. Let him come into your life and let him change your life. Just say to him, Jesus, come into my life, Jesus. I need you. I'm busted without you. Just why don't you just take that time and just tell Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Take the ownership of my life. Take the rule of my life. Become the controller of my life, Jesus. Lord, you saw me when I didn't see you. You saw my brokenness when I didn't see how broken I was. You stepped up from your throne and you came down to earth and stepped into life, Lord Jesus, so that we could reach out and find you. And Lord, you're here today because you said you would never leave us, nor would you ever forsake us, where we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I should not fear what man should do unto me. And because you're here, Lord Jesus, we know that by your spirit, you are knocking on the heart's door of each man's life here and saying, can I come in and sup with you? Can I come in and eat with you? Can I come in and live with you? Lord, open our hearts, Lord, to you. Lord, we swing our hearts, doors open wide, Lord Jesus, and say, come and live with us. Live in us. Be our Lord and our Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, God bless you.